Who's uh who where's the who is the emergency? Is that coming from Gabe or David? Who's having an emergency? I think that's there? uh David. That is yeah. me. Yeah. David, are you having an emergency? Hey, your ride's here. Uh, David, your ride's here. Did you guys ever have like, David when you guys were first starting to do stand up, did you guys ever have like the five you have to have like uh some sort of save for like five situations like like the waiter drops martini glasses everywhere and you have to be like, Lachaim, it's a Jewish wedding and like when you guys were yeah you had to have a save there was one place where i would perform in astoria queens it was a wine bar and every uh four minutes there would be an overhead train passing by nice and so you would have to uh time your punchlines for to not get um you know drowned out (laughs) by the sound of the n and q train going overhead (laughs) it was a nightmare uh, that's really funny I had this horror film idea for ambulances having like a phantom ambulance that drives around the city and collects people uh, to have their organs harvested for the Illuminati oh god oh yeah my god. <laughs> how gross is that that's awesome <laughs> yum 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 so yeah it would be about an undercover cop or a, a, a detective like trying to hunt down what happened to all these people, corpses that have been found with organs missing. Mm-hmm. In a world, mm-hmm. one cop lo- right. lo- loves liver or something. Right. And then, well, and there's then, like and, yeah. a Coke brother who's constantly has organ failure or like uh, a Sheldon Adelson or a, <laughs> or like why is Henry Kissinger still alive? You know, they all, mm. they all they're all yeah. part of this sort of Uber app to get uh, yeah. organs harvested. And there's one rogue ambulance that's on the case. So, oh my God! I'm, I mean, not <laughs> not to not to uh, a poo poo on your idea, Gabe, but like I would love if jo- this seems like a Jordan Peele film. This seems like something he would he would absolutely run with, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you so could, you, you what you yeah go on. Did you? I, I gotta say, did you come up with this entire idea because you wanted to make fun of the conceit of it's Uber but for, and this is just. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, one, so, you know, the way you would do, uh, also the idea of a charities that are created by billionaires to hide their money. Like, why did this, why did, uh, the, why is there a Henry Kissinger free clinic now in this neighborhood? And the Mm -hmm. clinic is now uh, taking blood types and doing free physicals on all of these working class people. And then they figure out who the healthiest, uh, and easiest to disappear members of the community are. So oh, there's like a Venn nice. diagram where it would be like, oh, well, they're the right blood type. They don't have a lot of family that would miss them, and they're relatively ha- healthy. I think the so, craziest thing about that is that that sounds like yeah. kind of a good idea if you're a billionaire. You know, like <laughs> kind of a clever. Right? It's kind of a clever idea. Yeah, I mean, like Jeffrey Epstein could totally, I mean, set up like a charity for children. You know, and then it's all of a sudden he's just this just becomes a molestation factory. You know, I mean, uh, you. Do you remember uh, Jimmy Savile? I mean, a lot of a lot. I think a lot of bad people and predators who have money cloak themselves in charities. So Jimmy mm-hmm. Savile was yep. a talk show, uh, like a on a television personality in in the UK, and he would give all this money to hospitals, and then he would go to those hospitals, and everyone loved him because he was giving them money, and then he just like molest the kids that were sick. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's dude. Fuck, man. That's he. He's like um. So you you know what he's doing is like this really wor- weird version of like capital manipulation and an accumulation via molestation. You know what mm. I mean? Because because like I was just listening to another podcast about how they were talking about how like um in capitalism what has happened is it's in like the 13th and 14th century what people would do is they would like root and pillage out places. Oh yeah. Um but then they would make like basically antiquities that we now look at today. So like the reason there's a giant big um castle in Germany or like the reason like Spain has all these like cool like riches and buildings and shit like that yeah. was basically like the the baby steps of capitalism in like the 13th and 14th century. But then once capitalism really started happening, it wasn't uh designed to uh reinforce and just make like gaudy like kind of brooches and crowns and stuff. It was instead just to get more capital. And Jimmy Savile he took it to the galaxy brain level and was just sort of like, no, I don't want like a crown or more capital. I just want to molest. So I'm going to like use my ability to create capital and entertainment and then just turn it into molesting kids. You know, like he got that access. I don't get the connection, but nonetheless, <laughs> the, the molest. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is like the Hagia, the, the, like molestation is was Jimmy Favel's Hagia Sophia. And his like it was his ta- it was his Taj Mahal it, it was, was his, his Taj Mahal, <laughs> <laughs> bro. You could have said that see, in a lot fewer words. I'm just saying. See, <laughs> dude, you get you guys, dude, you guys, you guys get me. You all, you all get me. <laughs> Y'all understand. Y'all understand where I'm coming from. You, that was a sh- that was a shaggy dog molestation story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Uh, no, well, I- we're keeping it creepy. What's everybody cooking? How are we doing with food during the pandemic? Uh, I, I I'm I'm good, man. I had, I had some I, I had some frozen pizza. We were really on a I I I've been doing this dish called pizza beans, uh, where <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that sounds English. That sounds like a Oregon Trail meal. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's fucking good. It's so good. So just take white beans, garlic, and tomato paste, and a little bit of hot water. Mix them all together in a pan. Put some cheese on top, bake it in the oven for 10 minutes. Boom. Pizza beans. Pizza beans. Boom. Done. Protein, I, carbs. Yo. This is, uh, uh, that is, okay. I have, um, weird, A, w- weird. Uh, but you know what? <laughs> you seem to still be alive, David, so I'm, I, I can't disagree with that. Um, Dude, my, my eating habits have basically remained the same. I basically, in New York anyway, I jump between fast casual and pizza. Whenever I'm delivering <laughs> pizza, yeah, yeah. Pizza is basically what I'm able to eat because most pizza places are still open in coronavirus times, essentially. Um, and a lot of times when I'm delivering, I got to eat something like really fast because I'm like currently like delivering. You something. need fast food. I literally need fast food, like quite, quite literally. Are you doing um, McDouble's, Danny? I've never been that much of a McDonald's person. Um, my parents, like when we grew, when we were growing up, like my mom definitely fell into the category of like, it's not like we didn't eat fast food or junk food or whatever. She just like we weren't getting um, 
what uh, fruity pebbles. Like we weren't get, getting colorful cereals. Like we were on in that middle zone where we got kicks and like Cheerios and stuff like monochrome. That. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of beige foods that were like uh like you know cereals literally like a, a hearty wheat thing, uh, and we would get cooked for. So I never I, I'm not a big um I'm not a big like fast food person, but like Chipotle and Qdoba have like definitely like split that difference for me because i think we can all agree that chipotle and Danny loves main Qdoba. failing i do i do the only problem with it is it's just salty like chipotle more so like chipotle on their menus it always has the little salt salt shaker icon being like yo if you are eating this whole bowl you're, you're getting more sodium <laughs> than you need in a day but like I mean, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that it's probably the healthiest fast casual option. I mean, it's got greens, beans, rice, a protein, a vegetarian option. So, guys, yeah. in other words, uh, Danny is actually quitting Ponzi Scream to go be a promoter for Qdoba. Um, <laughs> dude. Yo, that should be our dude, first That should be our first uh, advertiser is Qdoba. Dude, it was so sad when Corona first started and they temporarily closed the Qdoba. I was like, what the fuck is going on here this actually affects my life now uh but they reopened it so i'm okay so so you um, know i i'm i'm horny for this quarantine to end so i can go back and eat at a nice restaurant one of the one of the reasons that we live in new york is all of the diversity of food and flavors yeah baby mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you can just casually walk by a, a three michelin star restaurant and be like oh weird you know and uh, but yeah, some people are not uh, are not able to wait like we are. So this is this is the tie in that Gabe has been building up. Gabe has been building up this pivot to this horrible story. <laughs> Ho- beautiful. I must say, from a rhetorical standpoint, you let you led us into this story well, but it's a horrible story. And uh, it was three McDonald's employees were shot in Oklahoma City after telling a woman. The dining room was closed because of coronavirus. Over McDonald's. People took bullets for McDonald's food. This is a, a thing that we do on Ponzi Scream where we actually sneak in a regular crime. This is a, this is a little like, this is a little Happy Meal toy inside the white collar crime. We got a regular crime story. And that's what this is. Yeah, that's that's um also okay. I have a I have some pushback here, okay? Ooh. I would I have been to Oklahoma City. Uh my dad's originally from Tulsa, so I've been to Oklahoma a number of times. The one time that I've been to Oklahoma City, I tried to do like a New Yorkery kind of thing and just be like I'm just going to walk around town. You can it is difficult to walk in that city. It is a driving city yes, for is. sure. There there are are a straight up lack of sidewalks in that city. So I imagine this guy probably just came up to the, uh, the McDonald's and he just lost his mind. Cause he's just like, even though you could eat it in his car, he just sort of like, where the fuck am I supposed to eat? Where the fuck am I supposed to eat? There's no fucking place to go except my car. Like he, he like his mind split in half, you know, it was a woman, did, but yes. Did you, did you yeah, all yeah. see, um, uh, falling down? It came out in the 90s with uh, Michael Douglas. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. We've talked about falling down. Have we? Uh, yeah, and he, but he walks into a, a, like, the equivalent to a McDonald's, like a whammy burger with a semi-automatic whammy, weapon, yeah. weapon. And it's, it's, it's kind of like white man rage. 
film. Nice. And and how like at that moment in time, it was culturally acceptable to have a white guy on the screen with a weapon complaining about fast food. And like what that really looks like today, though, is uh, w- this is like a sequel to Falling Down, where it's a woman with a gun who desperately <laughs> yeah. needs her McNuggets uh, in the wake of a this global is the feminist, pandemic. This is the feminist reboot of Falling Down. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that. I mean, that that this is the reality: is people snap over uh, not being able to get their fast food now. I, I would like because of see germs. The, I would like to see the rate. Or like the correlation between the number of like movies about how society is evil and like angry, like Taxi Driver kind of a movie and Falling Down kind of a movie with the what type of crime legislation was passed in that era because it maybe it ties into the zeitgeist of being like, I am upset with how society is disgusting and society is, is like these horrible institutions and you need to i hate fast food and maybe that is uh inspired you know joe biden to write the crime bill or something that is uh that's interesting i think it definitely holds sort of loosely to just gabe's reference to falling down because the 90s were just when people were starting to be like wait a minute fast food is bad for you so Mm. we should put this character in a fast food setting demanding a certain type of fast food in order to be like look at this american excess and uh just like uh yeah that's some eco-fast shit a little bit right a little eco-fast a little bit about how the consumer's dignity is being undermined by false advertising and how we are not the customer is not always right at this fast food place but not in a Sometimes but not you know and the customer and, is dead wrong <laughs> you know and but but I don't know too much about this case um you know that you that you brought up but that's heartbreaking that people are a being uh murdered at their jobs and then b being uh forced to work uh when everyone should be at home it looks like it looks like no one died thank god um, but then another person at a family dollar store was in Michigan was fatally shot after confronting a woman whose daughter was not wearing a face mask. So this is someone who Ooh. is a security guard at a family dollar store. Yo, man, who's bringing their barefaced kids into uh, any stores? Do you want your kid to get sick? Dude, people people are getting very cavalier with their children because of the sort of like semi-scientific nature of like children not getting corona as much um as a person who hates children though i do love the idea of them just being uh restrained in a way (laughs) which i like i'm glad i i'm glad i don't have to see their stupid little faces that's great like i'm all about i'm all about that but yeah people are definitely and I all I also don't know how to feel about it because I've been exposed to the same amount of information and media you guys have. So part of me is just like, I don't know, maybe kids aren't affected by it as much. But then there's these like weird one-off stories where they're like, these children got AIDS after they got coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> and they have never even been exposed to it. And it's just like, I don't I don't know, you know. It's still where the science is very, very uh fungible right now, you know? Yeah, man. I think what's uh 
what's weird about these sorts of altercations is it just shows how when you become alienated, in my opinion, when you become further alienated, like people are just closed off, you know, pent up, can't be around anyone. It just causes more misanthropy. And so, like, yes, yes. Right. Like if you just constantly, I think that's one of the craziest things. We don't talk enough about the cognitive and psychological changes of being like a car centric society or of being like living in the suburbs all the time. You just become, you're just never really around anybody and you don't really experience just any sort of just like actual physical closeness. And so that maybe makes people more agitated. And this might be evidence of that. It's just like someone asks you to put a mask on and then you shoot them. I mean, it's just like, and you can kind of feel that all of us can kind of feel that in our day-to-day lives. We're like, if you're in the countryside and you see somebody from far away, you're far more scared than if you're in the city and you, someone walks past you because there's no yeah. one else there. And you're just like, who is we, this person? I don't we're all person. becoming Michael Douglas from falling down. We're all becoming, <laughs> we're all becoming uh, car talk show radio lunatics. Because mm-hmm. we're no longer actually interacting with people in a physical way anymore. We're all interacting through mediated quarantine time. Uh, okay, wait. You know, maybe maybe you could get around this in a sort of like kind of like a, uh, what did they say in like the early 90s and early 2000s? Or maybe, yeah, where they were like um, like incision warfare where they're just they're, they're kind of going in and like being very precise about it. Um, you maybe you do a thing where you fight this kind of stuff by doing like precision uh, legislation where you just make it you make it illegal to speak to a iPhone or Android device by yourself in a car. I think that would cut down on like the, the, the like mid 50s white guy rants by a mm. half. You know, <laughs> you make that a. You make you make that illegal, like right off the bat. Um, illegal to uh, talk on the phone in the car in your car. N- no, not even while it's driving. Like if you see a guy doing this, basically, like pretend I'm in a car. If you see a guy doing doing one of these things while he's in a car, just like uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, forward facing video reply yeah, yeah, guy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the car. Yes, yes. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's now banned. Yeah, I like you that. precision precision. You just make that blanket blanket illegal. You know, like a cop can go up to the car and just be like, "Sir," and uh, "Sir, who are you talking to? Are you talking to your wife? Are you significant other?" And they're just like, "No, I'm just talking to the internet." No, under arrest. <laughs> under arrest. <laughs> All right. And also, just to be anti-cop, it's not the cops who deal with it. It's like UN peacekeepers. It's like they're the ones in charge of this. Beautiful. All right. Do they have guns though? Yeah. Uh, let's give them, let's just give them, uh, tasers and they still have to wear the white helmets that say like UN on them. That would be, that would be good. Tasers. I like that. Um, so speaking of like fast food and restaurants and how this is affecting this, uh, this came in, uh, so this, this is actually from last year, but I think it really ties into, some issues related to uh, what our coronavirus, what coronavirus is going to do to us, what coronavirus is going to do to our economy. There have been a lot of movements around and a lot of documentation about Yelp and how Yelp has been hurting or messing with certain companies and certain restaurants. And they just like have a very exploitative 
sort of relationship where it says like, if you want to be on our platform, then you have to basically comply by our, by our rules. And these rules end up being very, mm-hmm. very punitive, right? Uh, this came out last year. Apparently Yelp has been quietly replacing restaurants' phone numbers in order to add tracking so that Grubhub can bill them for a marketing fee. Sick. Yeah, yeah. So I get it. So it's like no matter – Yelp is basically trying to get a finder's fee off of every restaurant, Mm -hmm. right? Because instead of using the restaurant's or their own – their real phone number – they have created a middle a middleman phone number yep that people yep. call and grubhub and yelp is uh yelp and grubhub are the, have the same owner yeah yeah don't they david so now it's a monop now it would be not a monopoly yes. but it would be uh grub uh yelp is a platform and grubhub is is a uh, i think of like how amazon has its own products and they also sell your products but Amazon will make products that are exactly like your products totally. and can yes. sell them for less. So in doing that, um, it undermines the idea of a free market. And yeah. 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 And there's just like, yeah, there's, it, there's a lot of, um, this is everywhere is basically a, an illusion of competition when in reality, everyone, it's all owned by one company. Like uh, I remember looking this up, in the hotel industry, there's just a huge number of hotels that are all just owned by Hilton or all just owned by Marriott, but they're just technically called, you know, a product that the Marriott company sells. You know, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you think, as a consumer, you think that these are different companies, but they're not, and they are not legally required to disclose that. And so that, that I think that's what's going on with uh, Yelp and Grubhub, or they're at least they're they're quote unquote partners. And now it looks like this was today, so this is going to be uh, when this gets when this store, when this podcast goes up. It's going to be a week ago. Uh, Uber reportedly rejected an all stock offer to buy Grubhub. They there was considering trying to have Uber buy Grubhub which would have now, further consolidated yeah. the entire tech industry. Now, I really think that we should take some time to tease all this out because it's uh it's fascinating. One that Yelp uh is at least seen by consumers as being an objective place for peer-to-peer sharing of information and rating mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. products. So mm-hmm. That create that lends this veneer of uh, some some sort of authenticity or uh, quality control based on us giving mm-hmm. the ratings and reviews. But then Yelp is also selling um, premium space and artificially creating uh, ratings for yeah. for restaurants who who can pay to be promoted yeah. by Yelp. Yeah. Then so that already is undermining. That undermines any uh, legitimacy to Yelp's rating system right off the bat because you can pay to play. Then, yeah, yeah. Then the next big part of the corruption is that Grubhub is a for is um, is Uber basically. It's another. It, it's a way for people to. Um, it's an aggregator because people. It's in the middle. Yeah, people call Grub. People find restaurants on Grubhub. 
But if Yelp and Grubhub are now linked, then that adds another layer of incentivizing and and w- keeping the consumer from actually finding uh, the whole array of restaurants that are out there. It's only restaurants yep. that have paid to play with Yelp that then get mm-hmm. on Grubhub. Yeah, I, this seems sort of this seems like a weird power move, and I would also make the potential argument. It almost seems like the dying throes of like a weird old beast in a way because when i think of yelp like i honestly i've i've never been a really a yelp user at all Mm -hmm. it just hasn't really happened for me it almost seems like tom's shoes or whatever it seems like (laughs) something that existed in like 2009 and like you know grew to prominence um but then now when people look at it i i feel like it's almost a foregone conclusion where people are just sort of like oh yeah a lot of the ratings on there are just kind of like invalid and weird and like they're 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 them being in charge of grubhub or trying to take over grubhub or whatever it's just them in these sort of like you know dying throws trying to like regain some sort of legitimacy or in in like market share like not even in like trustworthiness they're just trying to like hold on to something you know what i mean yeah no and what this is what they call there's like organic growth versus artificial growth basically or, or growth through acquisition and yeah. there's actually very little, as a percent of what you imagine growth to be, there's actually very little organic growth anymore because you get money from venture capital. If you're starting a business, right, you get money from venture capital, and that lasts you up basically up until you're a viable company. And then yes. once you prove your viability, a lot of times in the tech industry, you're big enough where you're at to where you can actually be making money, you're big enough where you can just start acquiring firms that haven't made it to viability yet. And yeah. So basically, you just end up becoming a vessel of this venture capital firm wherein you are operating to the point where you can actually just like meet some getting into the black, right? And then after that, then you're just acquiring and you're just acquiring firms in order to be able to do that. And so there's not actually any more this like idea where you're like starting a business in a garage and then you're growing and then you have more sales and then there's more sales that leads to further growth and expansion and then you start franchising out. That just does not happen, especially in the tech sector, as much as so you think. It sounds like all new businesses are manufactured boy bands. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Sometimes sometimes they work out really well to the point where it's like, you know, sometimes you're just sort of like, of course there's a Pizza Hut connected to this Taco Bell. It's a combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. <laughs> sometimes, um, sometimes those artificial things, they, they naturally make their, they, 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 they become organic. <laughs> so I've always looked like living in New York. I mean, we have a luxury of so many um, privates or smaller restaurants that aren't chains. And... Whenever I can, I try to find the number for the restaurant if I'm going to order delivery. I I always Mm -hmm. call the restaurant uh, or I call them and I tell them I'm going to pick up because it's faster than having delivery and cheaper. And Mm -hmm. uh, what I found interesting was another article on how Grubhub is um, everyone's using it now. Like, Like tech is flourishing and artificially boosted in the markets because everyone is at home and they're ordering things online. So Grubhub yeah. is doing such a great job. They're making all this money. And uh, it, there was an article that showed a, re, uh, a receipt 
from a business where you know they had a hundred uh twelve hundred dollars in sales but after grubhub took all of its fees uh the the profits that that comp- that that restaurant made were like around eight six hundred dollars so it was Holy like exorbitant wow. uh fees leading to you know a 50 percent chunk of their income and so when you think you're supporting a local business uh or a restaurant and you use grubhub they're like gouging not only you because you're paying more but that company mm-hmm. totally and, and I felt and yeah. all, all their and their and the thing and like they're providing an index, right? Ultimately, that's what they're doing. They're providing like a visual index of what options are available for someone to actually do something for you, right? Like they're not, yeah. Like there's no actual service that they're providing for you other than an up to date phone directory that is visualized and put on a map. Right, how have they, ins- they've like created, exactly, it's a phone directory or it's a review page that has somehow mm-hmm. been monetized in a way where it's become more totalitarian. It's mm-hmm. not free information, it's information that yeah. limits your actual choices and that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that gouges both the consumer and the small business. And this is like exactly the purpose of antitrust laws, right, is to protect both the worker and the consumer and like small or all sorry to protect all three workers consumers and smaller competitors and because then you can just get a privately held firm having just a, a complete domination of the entire food industry in New York City of like the entire takeout industry in New York City would just be you have seamless and grubhub are basically the same product and then if yeah. uber bought it all of a sudden, you'd be like, "Well, um, I'm gonna get Uber because if I use, if I get ten Uber rides, then I get twenty percent off my next uh, Grubhub purchase." <laughs> you know they're doing that shit. You fucking know that they're gonna do that shit. And also, also, yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Gabe. Well, I was just thinking. I read today that Uber via Zoom fired thirty five hundred of its employees. Jeez. So even the idea that tech is creating jobs. Not only is tech uh, shedding jobs and redundancies, but to consolidate like that, they would there would be a firing of half of Grubhub's Wait, staff. Wait, how are they employed? I thought they were. I thought they were contractors. They're, are they admitting that they're employees? Oh, these are their. Uh, these are the people in the office. These are the administrators. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's also it, it's like one of those. That's first of all, that's an insane number. Huge. It's like thirty. Wow. I, I, people people don't necessarily think about it all the time, but like thirty five hundred employees is like insane. All from just one company. I mean, it really should speak to a, a lot the of these tech office. companies. Yeah. yeah, and how tenuous these these relationships actually are. Because like you look at their employment page or whatever, and it'll be like. Oh, full benefits, fifty thousand dollars a year, uh, healthcare, you know, a four hundred one k thing, and they'll offer that for maybe a little bit, and maybe you'll have that job for a little bit, but then at the same time, you know, you're gonna be in, it just they'll they'll take it away like that. Um, it's crazy. Also, I would say this too, um, as far as seamless goes, and the way that they are just kind of taking away from the um overall profit of these small restaurants. It really does benefit for people to just kind of reach out to these restaurants and, and call directly because I've worked for uh, restaurants and, and, and food and uh, and 
beverage places before where I wasn't working for Seamless or Caviar or Grubhub. I was just working for the company. Yeah. And like when I worked for the company, I got paid an hourly wage. Now, did I run into the same sort of small business tyranny that people often do? Yes. But I was at least working for like not contract work. And I can tell you as a person who currently does that, like you do not get it's like you can make money doing any of these these like little gig worker jobs but it is not for the faint of heart it is there's no sort of like um uh safety net or anything like that and actually calling those food establishments and te- and like implying to them we prefer just calling you instead of being available on grubhub or whatever i th- it, it's it, it does so much more for their their delivery people, you know. Look, every time I go out, went before the this pandemic, I never used any of those services, but I would eat out a lot more. And I, I would walk into the restaurant, and I w- if I was didn't want to eat there, I'd say I'd like to food for pickup. Within ten minutes, that food would be ready for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I called and mm-hmm. I said I will pick it up, within ten minutes, that food was ready. When you call Grubhub, when you use Grubhub and you use this impersonal app, the opportunity for them to fuck up your order goes way through the roof and then yes and and then your food will arrive cold 45 minutes to an hour later because they bundle all those orders and somebody somebody drives around with like 15 orders Mm -hmm. so and then and then you don't even get to call the restaurant and say hey i called earlier is my food ready because you never had a personal contact in the restaurant you're only interfacing with this faceless app on your phone that's going to send you back auto reply messages uh, I heard of a situation where somebody ordered Chipotle and it came to their house in 20 minutes, but it was somehow cold. <laughs> and, and it's just sort of like, wait, 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 wait. How did, how the fuck did this even happen? You got the Chipotle super fast, but it was already like lukewarm and cold. <laughs> it's like, Something, these things they will they will pile up they will impersonalize it, the process. Did they only order guacamole? Because that's a cold <laughs> extra guacamole. Extra dude, actually, maybe it would uh, be profitable to just order extra guacamole four times and just pay ten dollars for a, an entire bowl. Filled. <laughs> yeah, I just need I, I need guacamole for hey, my Super Bowl. Party. I need guacamole for my Super Bowl party. I'm just gonna get delivery yeah. Chipotle of just four sideways of guac. <laughs> just like no 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 fill the whole fill the bowl fill the whole bowl with it. <laughs> uh, you, so what kind of burrito do you want? I don't want a burrito. No 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 rice no rice no, no dude beans. me me and my me and my friend Carrie, we always had the we always had the daydream of going into a subway and just ordering a foot long with only mustard and mayonnaise. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys are gross. Yeah, just like just this, a liquid sandwich. That's a pervert meal. <laughs> that is a that is a <laughs> that is a perverted meal. It's a slide against God for sure. Um, so to wrap this to wrap this up before we go into our next thing, and we guys, uh, to I want to quickly introduce what what we have next. We have. Uh, a, a comedian that we all know from the scene uh, and also a former banker uh, who's going to be coming in. Our first guest on Ponzi Scream, Daniel J. Parapin. Yes! And he's going to talk to us about um, whatever he's going to talk to us about. I don't, I don't want to introduce that too much more. But uh, to wrap this all up, I guess I wanted to say um, 
we are in a crisis moment, and uh, right now all three of us are re are rereading, uh, or reading for the first time the Shock Doctrine, and I think that this is a moment when the economy is basically in a coma, and there are just going to be a huge number of firms that are going to be attempting to do things like mergers and acquisitions. And this is the precise moment where someone would take advantage of that, where they could, where Uber and Grubhub, who are both suffering dramatically, would both try to take advantage and, and consolidate. That way, when we get out of this crazy economy, there could just be an insane amount of market consolidation. And that is something that we all need to kind of be vigilant for and hoping that, you know, there's a couple congressmen. Uh, I know that like Ocasio-Cortez and Warren and this guy David Cicilline have called for an end to all non-essential mergers and acquisitions during coronavirus. And they're doing that because mm. they're, they're calling for that because basically we need to start thinking about what sort of an economy we want to have when we get out. And if it's just going to, do we want it to be worse or better? Do we want all the horrible things about the previous economy to just be magnified or do we want to use this as an opportunity to really dramatically restructure? Nah, dude, we, no, this is what, what I want. The, all of the public school teachers to be fired and to have one teacher for every grade Brought to you by Kumon. <laughs> wait, wait, that's a, that's a, that's a fucking company with a goofy face on it. That's just sort of like, yeah. and it's <laughs> like right, and it's all tele, it's all tele, online learning. It. I'm sorry, dude, you're uh, come on, kids. That's disgusting. It's Kumon, bro. K U M O N. Start with Jimmy Savile. End with Jimmy Savile. <laughs> Look, if you're in middle school, yes. you know it's come on. All right. There's they they just uh, they just call it C apostrophe M O N, and it's just come on. Why don't you want to learn? You don't come on. You don't want every shuttered storefront in New York City to open up as a TD Bank slash HSBC slash Bank of America. Which are actually Slash Taco all Bell. Owned, yeah. Which are actually just all owned by JP Morgan Chase. Uh, yeah. But they're just like different brands of that. Uh, yeah, we don't want that, I guess, right? Uh, so No. I, that's all I had to say. Were you going to say something? <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, uh, news, news break, it's bad. Folks, it's not good. Uh, Folks! <laughs> it's not good. Uh, yeah, so anyways, that's, uh, this is been the food segment of Ponzi Scream. Now let's go to Daniel J. Parafan with uh, with some other crazy shit. Let's go. I'll just stand the whole time like a, like a, <laughs> like a creep. Look, I'm standing over you guys like a creep. I love yeah. it, dude. Um, Looming. So uh. we, we brought on Daniel today to present to us a lecture on something and uh i wanted that's why he's looming over us right now and daniel what are you going to lecture us about today what's the subject? nothing i want to clarify for a couple things this is just mostly if you're running a cash business and you need it to introduce cash to a legitimate business this is in no way and then intend to be used for anything um that you're using to avoid taxes or anything of the sort so this is just i want to clarify that's what I'm doing. I'm just explaining you. If you had a cash business to say, like stand up, how you would integrate that cash? Oh, love it, love it, love it, love into, love into the into hot integration of cash. What are other things that would be <laughs> a cash business that you would want to integrate into a, a quote unquote legitimate business? 
I'm not even saying quote unquote legitimate. I'm just saying uh, just a legitimate business like stand up. Let's just say uh, I like using stand up because it's a perfect example. It's a mostly cash business, and it's one of those businesses where you wait, hold on, look at the cat. Oh, hey. she's so cute. <laughs> uh, oh, bitch. It's it's uh, the best thing. The best thing about stand up is it's a mostly cash business. You have to integrate funds a certain way, etc. So, uh, do you just want to get into it or what? Yeah, well, I mean, well, I, I'm curious about your background a little bit. Uh, oh yeah, to give you a little bit of background on me, I have been in banking about ten years. I have my Series Six, uh, sixty three, and life. I have been in finance about ten, eleven years in general. I have uh, during my peak times. You'd want to know that that we would any banks that we would know about. Oh yeah, JP Morgan Chase. That's not a big deal. Yeah, I can say that. That's on my record. You can pull that up. Um, every person who's licensed through Finra has their licenses, like has where they've worked. Interesting. You're on broker check, is what you're saying. Yes, yes. If you want to go check me up right now after this, you could, and you could see how long I've worked, place, and and uh, things like that. Here's the real question, though. Do you mm -hmm. have a red dot by your name? Any red dots on broker check? Are you clean? Are you clean? I'm clean. I'm clean. I only worked at one firm. All right. I got right. fired. I got fired, but it was for a non-offense. So it was a non-offense firing. Well, Which, uh, wait, what does that even mean? <laughs> like it was, I wasn't stealing. I didn't try to hide money, things like that. What, what yeah. is your... I got fired for something stupid. Most of my boss didn't like me, and he really wanted to push me out. I mean, that's that, that's fine. I mean, if you're on like, it, it is kind of funny that if you were on broker check, you might not have a red dot by your name. If you like, I don't know, like were beating off in like the the break room or something. <laughs> you're moving Wait, around. hold on, let me reverse that. Yeah, you're you're. you're oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, sorry. It looks I like I really do need. You need a chair. You really need a chair. Yeah, you, need need a chair. chair. you need a chair. I get. I had nine <laughs> cups of coffee. Hell yeah, baby. Nine. <laughs> Nine cups. Ferris Bueller, you've been late nine times. I'm Colombian. I, I have like. I'm not exaggerating. I'm had nine cups today, and I had nine cups yesterday, and I'm sure this is not good for my health. So it looks like Danny, uh, uh, Danny, like you are. Um, you're no longer registered as a broker, but you were previously a, a registered broker. Yes. And That's right. Well, oh, you pulled me up? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I check broker check all the time. So um, that is all interesting to hear. And you were doing retail work. Like you were working with like normal. Yes and no. I was, I was doing um, like anything within like 250 to a million dollars to like $20 million. So anything, oh. would you get to like uh, 250000 to $20 million? Uh, after 20 million, it's private bank. It's no longer us. So we were, we were like, um, yeah. there was a program that came out. Uh, it was it was meant to cater to the people who were wealthy, but weren't wealthy enough for private bank. For the longest time, there was a gap between this this wealth, this, this group of wealthy people that had millions of dollars, but it'd be like, I have five million, and people and the private bank would be like, fuck off, you're not shit. Who are you? You know, eat a dick. <laughs> it's people with 20, 25 million. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> five million? Yeah. <laughs> Get the fuck out of my face. I don't want to see five million dollars. So you were uh, doing uh, so you were doing like portfolio management for these people. You I know? was worth um yes. I couldn't activate the trades. 
a lot of what I was doing was selling. Okay. So we would sit down, we would discuss what their financial interests were. Any, any single guy, the system has become so automated that they, how do I say this? Individualism is really out the window. It's more about, it's more like cookie cutting investments. Even with, unless you specifically say, I want this, there are age brackets, there are risk brackets, there are income uh, brackets. Everything is like a, well, it depends now. Or like we think, like we think this would be good for you. And even if you, the individual, wanted nothing but high risk at 91, let's say for example, because you're 91 years old, you kind of have a lot of money left. You don't mind fucking with it. At 91, you would have to really push the company and say, I want this. And the company might actually still be like, we don't want to study that. Because the risk is so high on the company side, they intentionally have these cookie cutter programs. If your income, if you have $100,000, but it seems like you don't have enough for a six-month nut, we won't, like a lot of times, people will be like, the investment doesn't seem right for you. I'm sorry. You have to maintain a six-month nut. And if back, back office will be the ones to be like, we, I'm sorry, you can't do anything with this guy. Recently, there's been a rise, and this mostly became with people with millennial, like millennial peoples who just don't have that much liquidity but have $20,000 or half 30000 And before, people would come up to me like that, like, what can I do? I'd be like, I don't know, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I can't do shit for you. Yeah, I'll make yeah. money off you. Not to sound rude, but like, I can't. I, they weren't my focus. My focus was people within the at least like seventy five thousand. Because if someone has seventy five thousand, they have twenty five thousand to keep in cash and fifty thousand dollars to invest. No one's going to invest all their assets, and they can't most of the time because they have to fill out uh, sort of a financial questionnaire. A hundred like people with a hundred thousand dollars were great. I really wanted three hundred thousand dollars. Like I wanted to get as much money as I could off one person. And so what made you get out of the game? Uh, you said you haven't been employed since last December, and that's, that, that's, that's what this firing you're talking about? <laughs> Just hate capitalism. That's what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot deal. Daniel, Daniel is, uh, he's making very normal and unlascivious uh, motions via the Zoom call <laughs> that you guys can Just wanted to... Now, I'm, now, I have a question. I have a question here, actually. Um, so you were telling me that you... Uh, at least have a recognition for people who are mm, they have like 75k minimum to maybe upwards of a couple hundred thousand to deal with something like that is there any moment in sort of that bracketeering of money lower or higher or right in there where you sort of notice a change <coughs> in the personality oh yes yeah. I can tell you right off the bat who has money, who doesn't, who knows what they're doing, who doesn't. Really? There's a really big difference. In fact, people, it depends. There, there are people with money who are in the business who are complete selfish jackasses, really? but are good to deal with because they already know, they have an idea. It's like having a personal trainer. There are guys who are cut up and jacked with no personal trainers, and there are guys who are cut up and jacked with a personal trainer. Yeah. It all depends on the person. Okay, okay. Uh, and sometimes a personal trainer likes working with the guys who are cut up and jacked because they already know the basics. They can get into advanced shit. Or, um, and there are also the jackasses who are, are like jacked, but usually on T. It, it's, it's, I, those two are the only ways I can really equate it. There are some people who yeah. get rich and invest on their own and making everything just fine. One of my partners, Tim Brennan, 
Yeah. So he and I worked in the same location, and he was one of the guys I loved working with because he, he taught me a lot, and so did Gary Pell, another financial advisor. They both taught me a lot of the game, and they uh, – Tim Brennan would uh, often talk to me about, like, some, some of these guys, they come in there, and they don't want to pay any fees. They don't yeah. want to pay management fees, brokerage. I assume everyone who's listening to this already understands the, the fee breakdown and stuff. Reasonably so. I mean, just uh, uh, you, you, uh, can, you can explain it. Uh, talk to bit. us like we don't know anything. Yeah. Every firm has a different breakdown of fees, depending on how much you're investing, how much uh, you have in general, what kind of programs you're in, things of that nature. So like there's sure. a percentage fee for the actual physical broker. There's a management fee. There's a portfolio fee. A lot of those, some of those fees, depending on the money you bring in, can be waived. So let's, it's a sliding scale. So let's say, for example, you brought in a million dollars. They might drop a percentage or they might drop a point of a percentage. But it's also kind of, it works in two ways. So some of the retirees, my bread and butter was getting retirees to roll over their 401ks. That was incredible because I felt morally justified. A lot of times people don't know what to do with their uh, old retirement, old 401k programs. They just don't know. And I'm willing to bet, statistically speaking, one of the four of us, I was, but one of the three of you, probably either has an old one somewhere or just liquidated an old one because they didn't know what to do with it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So I felt morally justified. They always talk about like how these guys are scumbags, etc. We are, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, there's a moral justification because that's your money. You don't know what's going to happen. If you leave it in the hands of your old company, you'll have zero idea what to do with it. You're going to have zero idea of what it's doing for you. You don't know how it's being invested. The average person, and this is, I'm talking about, I work downtown. I worked with people who were highly educated, people yep. in different fields of the finance business. So just because you're great at accounting at JP Morgan doesn't mean you necessarily know about investments. Just because you're an analyst doesn't necessarily mean that you're good at doing everything hands-on. Some people do want a second person, and that goes back to the nature of the trainer. It'll go back and like some guys think they know it all, and those are usually the idiots, and yeah. some guys are jacked and they come with a trainer and they get, they can maximize everything they have. Uh, <laughs> a lot of it depends on how it's just funny. Cause I just was not expecting this conversation to be about how to size up people. Uh, who oh, I like it though. This is like, no, no, I, this is, this is incredibly fascinating to me. And also very illuminating that uh, it's, it sort of sounds like what you're saying is that, you'll have people who are in the industry of finance who will have money that they can kind of play around with and they might still not even know exactly how that system works. Or 100%. But it's no different than a guy that goes to the gym and might be cut up but doesn't know how to get jacked. Yeah. That's, that is, that's crazy. That is so oh, wild. Cause, shit, yeah. Really that happens all the time. Yeah. Just, because, just because you know how to get cut doesn't mean you know how to get jacked and vice versa. <laughs> so you might, it's <laughs> so stupid. But uh, uh, a gym trainer is the easiest way to equate it for everybody. Because sure. it's a good idea. About, That's all it is. What about like stand-up versus improv? Is that something, is, is, is there any sort of analogy that you can draw there? Or, oh, okay. Uh, a stand- or, yeah, yeah. yeah. An improv coach. Oh, God, I got fat. All right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Dan, Daniel, yes, before we go on, do you have a, a TV on in the background? 
Yeah, should I turn it off? Yes. Yeah, that might be better for <laughs> show. I've been Sorry. begging for someone else to say it the whole time. <laughs> Is it because it has Spanish? Uh, that Castro one. Cerrado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this first sound quality. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can you go with the TV? No. Please? Oh, you got me. <laughs> no. I don't talk. I'm with You're louder the, than the TV. I'm with the fellas. I'm the podcast. It's all staying in. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Um, I can't lower the TV right. Thank you, Diana. That's <laughs> uh, so good. Um, so, that's actually. I can. That's actually a little bit better. I can. Uh, that's that's actually pretty good. Um, yeah. Okay. So okay. Okay. So you were talking about bees earlier. You were talking about yeah. bees. So, no, it, it's it's all it's it's a percentage fee. So as you can imagine, and this is something that a lot of people don't really realize if you've never invested before. Uh, you're going to be charged a fee by the company. Yeah, the yeah. company is going to charge you a fee to access its books. It's like saying fees a lot. We've talked about brokerage fees versus you know advisory fees and stuff like that. A, a, correct. All amount. I mean, when we're talking about like standards of conduct. Yeah. Thing. I mean, so for for Daniel, I write about uh, basically about compliance and litigation. In the I saw I saw one of the articles. It was forwarded to me. You write for Intercept. No, I don't write for The Intercept. I write okay. for this trade publication that... Danny, um, you write for The Intercept. No. no. Just, no sorry, 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 sorry. We're all on the left spectrum of these things. And generally speaking, the, the Intercept, you would say, is on that left. So you can we kind wanted, of assume... So what we wanted to talk about with you, Daniel, is we wanted... To, this is a white-collar crime podcast. And when you first approached me, you said that you had some dirt. You wanted to talk about some naughty behavior. You wanted to talk about any, um, I, I know you meant like, uh, I sent you something that I just saw about money laundering and any like sort of money laundering stuff that you have to be careful of when you're a banker. You don't have to admit to any crimes, but if you saw, you know, if you, if you tell me about like, what, what is like the money laundering? Complaint? David, I'm going to have to turn you down there and I can say officially that I cannot tell you about money laundering, how to commit money laundering. All I can tell you is if you had a cash business, uh-huh. And you want it to, uh, because you get paid in cash as a stand-up comedian, and yes. then you wanted to take that cash and start up a small business, I can show you how to do that. Unfortunately, well, I cannot tell you anything about money laundering or how to do that. So, Daniel, <laughs> let's, say, let's say I had, I made $200,000 in a... Stand-up comedy. Uh, in stand-up comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am I don't the most successful it. comic ever. <laughs> and it's I've been hiding time. it in, in a Bustello uh, coffee cans. That's not. <laughs> for a year. That's, that's not. Okay. So let's say, for example, fine. That, ha that can happen, right? Let's say you're doing stand-up comedy. You're someone like uh, Dan Nanan is a good example, who does make do a lot of corporate gigs, high-end gigs. And you can get paid large amounts of money. Or um, let's say, for example, you're getting paid $100 a set, which is not impossible. Not right? Impossible. Right. $100 a set. You're doing three sets a night. That's $300 a week. That's $2,100 every single week. That's $8,400 a month. Over the course of a year, that's about, what is that, 816 That's about uh, $96,000 a year. Something like that, right? Oh, something yeah. like that. And Daniel, I ended up taking some of that money to Atlantic City. And I, I doubled it. <laughs> yeah. Physical cash, right? 
Yeah. That's perfect. Let's just say you doubled, you doubled the $106,000 that you got from stand-up and you made, now you have $212,000 in cash. You're a little suspicious. You're kind of weary. You don't know what to do, right? So you would, before anything, and you just happen to take all that money, put it away. You know what's so sad? This is not an impossible scenario for comedians. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was doing a casino gig and then I put all, I was drunk and I put all of my money <laughs> on a fight. Gabe, that's so unlike you. <laughs> okay, so now I have $212,000 that I've made through stand-up. The first thing I'm going to want to do, let's just say I have nothing and I got this money. This happens all the time. This is very plausible, right? So the first thing I'm going to do is set up my business account. Before I can set up a business account, though, at a bank, I'm going to have to register with, it, uh, with the IRS to set up an EIN, an employer identification number. Yes. Uh, that is usually the easiest way to do it. You, when you're, there's different forms of structures and setups. For easy purposes, we're going to go with a sole proprietorship. There are a bunch of different structures. There's LLPs, LLCs. There's uh, member-managed LLCs. There's a bunch of different types. I used to also be on the business banking side. So I understand pretty much every side of the equation. Cool. Um, so we're going to go nice and easy. This is a sole proprietorship. So you happen to have all this money that you made from stand-up over the course of a year. You put it under your mattress. You just forgot about it. Oh, shit. I have $212,000 to put away. You can, you're going to have to go on the IRS website. Go on www.irs.gov. Yeah, Correct. Nice. You, uh, and, and now just as a side note to everyone listening, the IRS wants you to pay taxes. They love when you pay taxes. They They're make horny it, for it. They are yeah. horny for it. They make it as easy for you to get a tax ID number than any other function of the U.S. They, make, they want businesses to pay taxes. They want individuals to pay taxes. They want you to be able to do this. So they make it like this to get uh, – when I say seconds, it takes seconds. Hard Go to get a voter registration card. Easy to get. A uh, tax card. Yeah, yeah. card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you, you, go, get, you get an EIN and a tax card. EIN. You can just go EIN. Okay, cool. You get the EIN from the website. Gotcha. So, you can get a tax ID number, but it's a little more complicated. And that has more to do with when you're an individual non-citizen, it's more difficult. But let's just let's keep it easy okay. for business purposes, right? You're a U.S. citizen for business purposes. You go on there, you try to get an EIN. Uh, there's a couple options. You can take your social and you plug it in. And they'll give you an EIN automatically. It takes three seconds. You literally plug it in. They give you a little PDF piece of paper form and the actual number. Love it. Take that wow. number. Yeah. It's that easy. Wow. Then you can take that number. Yeah. And most banks, when it comes to business accounts, because they have to flag for anti-money laundering, as of right now, most banks, if not all of them, and I say most just as a just as a just in case, like you know, there's some bank or two that does allow it, okay. uh, but I, I'm pretty sure that it's all banks. Uh, for business accounts, uh, you have to come in person, okay. and it's it's okay. because they have to flag you for money laundering purposes, etc. Right? Sure. Um, so we still have a sole proprietorship, uh, and that's the sole proprietorship. Just the background info for everyone: it's the majority of business accounts set up in the nation, in the entire nation. That is the majority of accounts set up. Wow. Yeah, so I, have, I, have a sole, I have a sole proprietorship. There you go. It's, it's 75% of them. It's the easiest setup. It takes five to 10 minutes. So now I have the EIM, but don't forget that EIM is attached to your social, okay? So just, you know, in the records of the IRS, for anyone listening to this, it is attached to them somehow. 
it also has the most liability. So if you can get sued for your sole prop, you can get sued for everything. Yeah. Which is why people set up different corporate or business structures in the first place. That's why Delaware comes into play. That is also a thing, but uh, the problem with Delaware is everyone claims that they're cheap on taxes, which they are. They nickel and dime you when it comes to documents. So you're paying 10 to $15 for a state registration form. Imagine how many businesses set that up. That's 15 bucks right there. Boom, right off the bat. Uh, every single form you need them is a charge. So think of all the businesses that set up there with PO boxes. It's just... It's how they're not stupid as a state. They're like, De- hey, Delaware, hey. Delaware is like a numbers situation. They're just, they're sort of like, we're going to sell a million, yeah, yeah. we're going to sell a million dime bags. Yeah. Yeah. That's, how, yeah, that's yeah. how we make our, that's how we make our nut. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. it's like a, any burger stand that sells a million patties or whatever. Okay. So yeah. you talk to the bank and the bank, uh, yes, you're, and no, you're going to set up a sole prop, uh, account with correct. Now, uh, one of the things that a lot of people might not know is, on the other side of the bank, there is a, uh, it is the classification number that is attached to your individual business. Every single business in the country has a classification number, or at the very least, a close proximity. They do it for tax purposes. They do it for a lot of reasons. Yeah. So you're, this is the part you're not seeing. It's behind the screen, so the guy's thing is going to ask you about your business. It's going to ask you a bunch of questions. This is always going to happen. They're going to want to poke holes in your story on purpose. They want to to know if you're money laundering. Yeah. A greedy, just, I guess between us, like a greedy banker won't really give too much of a shit if you come in with $2,000 in cash and say, hey, I'm a stand-up comic. I just want to do this. They might be excited and be like, I want to do stand-up too. But... (laughs) But for the most part, they'll take your two thousand dollars. They'll forget about you. You're a fucking nobody, right? Yeah. Uh, if you have two hundred, they'll even guess. They will. They might not even open the account if it's two hundred because they'll be no, like two hundred thousand. Oh, sorry, I'm at two hundred thousand. Well, we're gonna get to that in a second. Okay. Okay. So, sorry. Hold on. We're gonna, so right now you're just at the bank, and they're gonna classify it. It's a lot of banks, a lot of the main banks, non-credit union banks, and that's important will not take certain codes, certain industry codes to set up bank accounts. So for example, the pornographic industry or the stripper industry, which I know sounds silly, but for ethical reasons, a lot of banks will not set up those types of accounts. I know what you're talking about because in my business license, I had to choose a specific type of like six digit number that defines the yeah, code yeah. of what you're talking about. So that's what Daniel's referring to in this case. So if they see one that's like 076541, which means like, I'm a party guy. Like, they're yeah, just yeah. like, no, we're not doing that. You but know? then here, here's the thing. So they don't do pornographic, they don't do strippers, and they don't do pot businesses. Yes, that makes uh, a lot of sense. Com- and usually, and again, they, on their side of the screen, they're plugging this in, not you. They're not going to trust you to do it because you're a lot of them. They poke holes in your story about your business, what do you do? How long are you doing that? Oh, that's nice. Tell me more. What got you into that? What makes you want to do that? Five, 10 minutes of questions. Getting to know your business, blah, blah. Uh, and then, uh, and then they, they kind of get a general idea of what you do. And then they go like, where's the majority of your money coming from? Cause you might be like, I'm a standup comic, but also when I'm on the road, I sell my CDs and they might go, hmm, how would I classify that? Are you a radio DJ or you're more of a standup comic? You know, a little more information, blah, yeah. blah. You kind of be nice. Oh, the majority of when it comes to standup. Okay, fine. Blah, blah. So you're you're selling merch on the road, but you're also doing stand up. It's mostly stand up. So you're you're doing that, and you're plugging in this information. 
they, they, they find out the code is fine. Uh, one of the things is you have to have two forms of valid ID. Duh. I mean, who doesn't sure, know that? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they might or might not scan it into the system. They're going to ask you your address. Things like just basic shit. And this, and is, all, try... this is all to prove that you are a legitimate business. Kind of. Yeah, like that second, that second part is the easiest part because they're just they're trying to get uh, to get to know you, make sure you have that. But also on the other side is they're trying to know what to sell to you. Don't forget, you might get tripped up based on what they want to sell to you too. That's see, this is really interesting because I think people think about the banking process and whatever, and they'll think like, "Oh yeah, banks is they're these impersonal sort of uh, just sort of beings that they just they just exist no, and approve no, it." And but no. there's there's apps. It sounds like anyway that there's like this intense no. vetting that really hundred percent. Yeah, especially yeah. because some businesses are prime. Prime for money laundering. Yeah, so yeah. They, um, those businesses specifically, because they're high risk, sometimes they'll charge them more money. Sometimes oh. they will intentionally ask you, they'll ask you what kind of transactions do you think you're going to do. So I'm a stand-up comic. I'm getting paid mostly in cash. You might tell them that. And they go, well, for more cash than X amount, we're going to charge you an extra fee to handling your cash because of the risk involved. And you're going to go, fuck you, fine. That's one of the unfortunate parts. What are some of the businesses that are especially prone to money laundering? Oh, owning an ATM. Owning it is an ATM. So, which you can do. By the way, I was actually approached for one. <laughs> you have to own a bunch of them, and you have to have the right location. But you can they're, – they're, they're what we call a turnkey operation. Wow. To really make money, you have to, like, own a bunch of them. It's like owning a vending machine. I wanted to own a vending machine. That was a you thing I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. And you dude, can hire a company to take care of it. Yeah. Dude, I wanted to, for a longest time, I was trying to figure out, I want to take, I want to get a vending machine uh, full of like, uh, like a, a standard Coca-Cola one, get a vintage one, and then put a lot of random shit in it and just put it in like <laughs> the middle of Times Square. And then have Yeah, fucking... when they smash it open. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, I love the idea of, but I, of going in and getting all the quarters, but I can see what you're saying. That's like a huge cash-based yeah. business. It's like, yeah, yeah. It, so that's ATMs. One. Yeah, what else? ATMs, vending machines, uh, anything with high cash. Um, I think also, um, what's the what's the one? On, it's laundromats and laundromats. Um, laundromats. Literally money laundering. How you doing, guys? Yeah. All right. Um, I'm so sorry. And uh, <laughs> and um, uh, what's car mechanics? Think of how often cash businesses happen there because they can easily tie things together. Restaurant. That can happen too. I mean, that's easy, but like that's one of the ones everyone kind of knows. Restaurants do that all the time. It fucking sucks. We get so mad at them because those are the assholes that come in for loans. And we're like, okay, let's look at your tax returns. And their tax returns are like, we made $10,000 all last year. Like, go fuck yourself. You didn't do that. Their restaurants and dry cleaners are such dick. I'm sorry. I know this is a side note to all this. Restaurants and dry cleaning businesses are dicks. They are dicks. They fucking never file taxes correctly. And they always want loans to help out their business. Hey, moron, you fucking feel the taxes is how we depend. We know what to lend you. We can, you jackass, look at your taxes. You have nothing for us. I can't help you. Go fuck yourself. 
Dude, that makes total that makes total sense. Those rest restaurant guys are like the biggest like big brand big head dudes. Where it's like, yeah, dude, I'll fucking I'll fucking run a steakhouse. All right, it's legit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, like, what are you talking about? Think yeah. of all the mafia guys that have, have restaurants. It's because you can easily pound money at. Them. God, yeah, and then I mean, even the guys who are legitimate, they just have uh, they got the small business head where they're just yeah, they hide they hide taxes. Yeah, yeah. Happens yeah, yeah. all the time. I believe that. I very much believe that. So, so it's important to note that when you're being interviewed by the banker in front of you, yeah, you're going to they're going to ask you questions about the business to sell to you, right? That's an important yeah. part. Yeah, and this, this is and also just get to get to know a little bit because they want to be able to build a relationship with you. And a lot of times, business owners, from our standpoint, business owners are cash cows because they have multiple businesses. So the more money they bring over, the more money we make, et cetera, et cetera. The more money the bank makes, blah, blah. This is where people really fuck up because this is where uh, things can go wrong. They're the first line of defense and one of the strongest lines of defense. So, so they'll, they'll go up there and they'll, um, they'll ask you, hey, how long have you been a stand-up for? And I go, three years. Oh, neat. My cousin does that. Do you work at Gotham? And then I go, mm-hmm. Um, uh, I just want to open this, and I, and then you as a banker go, huh? Why? You know, in my head, I wouldn't say it out loud. I'm like, why'd you pause? I um, huh. then I go, oh, okay. Then I start digging more holes in your story. I go, well, let me ask you this. You know, you've been doing that for 10 years. What'd you do before that? And you get a little sweaty, and you go like, oh, I I just been working all around oh and then i go he told me he's been doing this three years little questions like that everything is they actually train us they tell us you have to ask about the business and if you notice them flustering things like that you don't react yourself you kind of either step excuse yourself after the process you kind of go i'm gonna get paperwork you go to your boss and goes hey i think this guy's a piece of shit or something and a lot of times the bank yeah yeah oh fuck oh you should have heard some of the shit i would say uh, this, is, this, is, this is extraordinary, the amount of psychology and just, like, interrogation. Like, and, Yeah, it happens. Yes, we have to know. Because businesses are the number one, are heavy when it comes to um, money laundering. Yeah. It's more common than, like, art. Like, like one thing that I always think of when I think of, when I think of money laundering, I always think of art. Because it's an in, it's, it's a asset that is really hard to place a value on so i always feel like this would be such a perfect thing for money laundering because it's just like this is just a no 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 this is this makes me feel good this reminds me of my childhood i i'm gonna pay 20 million dollars for it even though it's some random thing but here's there's so many different classifications of money laundering so that's where things get tricky so with the art world that money has to be in a bank account already we're talking about the very physical basics of getting the $20 that you got paid for, or in our case, our scenario we had earlier, $212,000. So I'm, I'm opening bank account. The, uh, the banker kind of like, believes me. He has no reason not to believe me. He takes my IDs. He scans them in the system. They, not, they, they have your information, blah, blah. Now, it is January 1st, 2020. That's when I first started this. Uh, he didn't ask me questions like, 
you know, how will you get paid? I get paid in cash. It's a cash-heavy business. Okay, I'm yep. aware of that. You're, you're giving $2,000. So now you have $210,000 left to put away, yep. right? Including yeah, yeah. any more money you have. You can't, there's certain amounts of money here you, that will automatically trigger a bank investigation. In the first 60 days, any bank account is more likely, bank accounts are more likely to create, create fraud than any other time. There is no time higher outside a regular bank uh, bank account that's being watched in the first 60 days. Uh, and there, yeah. And this is, this can include, this is just, we're talking about sole proprietorships, but uh, we're talking about smaller businesses, things like that. But businesses that you say you have a retail front door, let's say, for example, you say you're a dry cleaning business. Let's say, for example, you say you're a restaurant. I own a restaurant. We do mostly cash and we're very successful. I, the banker, the person in front of you might go, oh, cool, neat, whatever. You might know the restaurant business. You might bullshit me up and down the street. Might lie. That's another part that people don't think about too is addresses. The yeah. computer system knows, they have Google Maps. The system automatically checks for the address to be your real address. So you yeah. have to have a physical location. If you're a sole proprietorship, you use your home address. If you are, or if a, you know, if a business doesn't really have a home, you know, if you operate your house, you're home. That's it, nice and easy. If you tell someone, Let's say you have a good business, right? Yeah. Sometimes, and they can't, some things don't add up. There's some questions about your business. They take back office. They have guys to go out and go to your physical location. That's what I was wondering about. I was like, are they, they going to do, send, do that? They send they goons. That. They send goons out. They no, send bank goons. So, yeah. so, one thing that I was always, <laughs> Yes. I was always wondering about how much of this is automated because from what I've looked into money laundering seems to, they have all these like compliance procedures, but you make it seem like on the day to day, you know, broker to client relationship, it's very subjective. It's very, per which is, here's the thing. It can be, that's the thing. I'm not talking about millions. A lot of this is automated too. A lot of them have internal checks. A lot of them double check your address. A lot of them is like, this seems kind of fishy. This address doesn't seem correct. Please give us proof. We need evidence. The system will pick things up right away. Okay. Mm. Uh, but there are second and third lines of defenses. The system is kind of the first line. You, the banker, are definitely one guy. If you don't feel comfortable with something because the business is so easy to red flag, you can just tell your boss and be like, I don't feel comfortable with that. Or you can call business services and they can red flag it and they double check everything. And a lot of times you just close shit out and go, here's your money back, go get fucked. And when they mail you back the money you open the account with, they'll mail it back to your address you gave them. And we go, go fuck yourself. That's not my business. You gave me that address, fuck face. And will you like report, um, report it? as well to the yeah. authorities? Uh, I don't think the back office does that because that's not necessarily the bank's job. We just kind yeah. of, the bank goes, we don't feel comfortable with this. We're allowed to not feel comfortable. We don't feel comfortable. We have the right to not have business with you. Gotcha. Is, is, that, is there sort of like a, a lack of culpability issue there when it comes to like this, to just the proliferation of illegitimate ba uh, businesses and the bank just sort of being like, eh, it's not really our job to be a regulatory agency. Well, let well, the FBI deal with that. That's know? the thing. It is the bank's job to be regulatory. Not regulatory per se, but it is the bank's job to ask these questions. These are part of the Homeland Security upgrades that happened. I'm not sure if you're familiar with HSBC, what happened back, I think. I am, I am. Oh, okay. Remember, uh, they had their entire line of business shut down. They yes. weren't allowed to open business accounts at all. 
an entire line of business for HSBC was shut down because wow. they had virtually no money laundering checks in place. Whoa. Yeah, it was, it, uh, for people who don't know, this was a big, big story. There's even a It was Netflix. a big deal. It was a Netflix, was it? like, um, if you if you go on Netflix and you watch Dirty Money, it's one of their episodes about HSBC, how it's basically... Shit, I gotta watch that. Fuck yeah. Dude, it was like a, it was like a low-key <laughs> drug front, or like yeah. drug money situation. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, when, it's when was it? When did they get it shut down? Uh, I want to say like 2015, <laughs> 2016 is when this was happening, right? Yeah, they shut them. It was, I forget. I know it was on the double odds. Double double digits once yeah. so they they shut down that line completely and hbc's like lost a shit ton of revenue from that yeah, yeah. they're mostly chinese bank though so it's not like they have money they're not they're just they're somewhat big here they're very not hong kong i think actually so yeah they are so now i have two thousand dollars in the bank i've waited a week and now i have two hundred ten thousand dollars in the wings waiting so there are a couple options i could walk in with two hundred ten thousand dollars in cash if I do that, I cannot stress this enough. You will be flagged in every way possible. There will be so many red flags. Sorry. Okay. You just cannot come into a bank with no. 100, 100K cash. You, you cannot. Like that. that is, they do not like that you are flagged. Usually you are barred from the industry completely because they go, where did you get this? Yeah, yeah. We You know the business of lucrative stand-up comedy? Yeah. <laughs> Even if it is legitimate, a bank has the right to be like, this is kind of weird. We don't feel comfortable sharing our businesses with you. I Remember, mean, a bank is a private organization. They don't have to have you as a member of it. So they, on the bank side, could just say, even if it's all legitimate, even if you yeah. just put your money away, see, even if you just put your money away, from start to finish safely and just had it in your apartment and just forgot about it. Uh, and you did that. They, the bank is allowed to be like, we don't care if this is, we're not doing business with you. And chances are any single bank will do that. Um, they will afford so, you to, yeah. That, so how do you do it then? How do you get away with it? You mean, how do you, how can you put the two hundred ten thousand dollars that you legally <laughs> have left that you legally own away that you legally own? Yeah, that you legally ac acquired from stand-up comedy and gambling and blowjobs. Away, okay. And like, how do you put so, that away? How do so you there's a couple. Here's the thing. So here, here's here's the kind of issue. And this is where everyone kind of fucks up. You can't get greedy. It's yeah. going to take you at least three years. Slow deposits. They have to be slow deposits. And um, they have to be within the amount of money you tell the business banker that you're making. There are different types of money laundering um, just schemes. There's structuring. There's, hold on if I remember. There's structuring. There's layering. So one is if I go to a different bank and put some money in and write a check. Uh, there's like different fraud types. One thing you could do is I can go and set up a bank account at Chase at Citibank and uh, at Bank at Chase and Bank of America. Oh, okay. There's a okay. system called check systems. So check systems yeah. is the system that every single bank works off of. And when I say every single one, it's every single one that's not a credit union. If you get burnt on check systems, you get burnt in the entire industry. 
So that means you cannot open up anything. A lot of times they'll even do, if you're a partner in a business, they will shut everything down. Okay. And um, so the, um, it seems like uh, credit unions have been singled out for the second time. Are, is it easier to money launder? Excuse me. Is it easier to avoid anti-money laundering risk compliance, uh, even though you're following with a credit union? No, they just, they operate, they still have internal checks and they still have a lot of that. They just operate outside the district of banks. So they don't work yeah. on the same check systems. They, uh, they have their own thing going, they're private institutions sometimes. Just that is really important to know because they're, they still are just as effective as banks because they're still just as liable as banks. So they're still yes. held to the same standards because if they were ever audited or given bank exams, they can get in trouble for not following up a procedure. I see. So they're the only reason I say that is because they just operate on things that aren't check systems and things of that nature. So you could still be burnt with a bank and get a get a thing like that, or get a rush card, which is just cannot tell you how awful those are. They suck. I feel so bad for people with rush cards. What is a what? rush card? Yeah, what is it? Oh, when you've so we're putting a pin in the first part of this. That's just that's a. Uh, that's, that's money you have. We still have $10,000 money to put away, right? Yep. Uh, so let's say when you're, when you're someone who has burnt a bank before, so that means you've been flagged for some suspicious activity, you have, uh, there's a, a fraud thing that goes around. So what happens is sometimes some people will wash checks and make fake paychecks. Sometimes people will even work with you at a job site and they'll get to know you as a buddy. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of this shit. They get to know you as a friend. And then they say, do me a favor, bro. Can you cash this check for me? I can't cash it because I don't have a bank account. You go, sure. It's $2,200. You deposit it in your account. You give me the cash because the ATM lets you have access to it. I walk away with $2,200 and you get flagged in banking system for the rest of your life. Sometimes it's, oh if you're, my God. Yeah, it's sometimes it's five years when you're young. I think when you're 18 or 19, they usually do it five years. So anything after five years is like five plus. What if you give me a a check for $2,200? I deposit it, then I only withdraw $1,800. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter any amount. Wow. So you just get flagged because you put in, I I get flagged because I Because you put in a fake check, yeah. Oh, because the check is not real. Okay. No, it's a wash check. It's a fake check. Got it. Those are wash checks, fake checks. When you steal a check and deposit in your account, that's how, your responsibility. The bank account's tied to your social. Can how, you how come that? How come they give the money though if the check is fake? Why do they? It's just the way the, the system the system automatically fronts you because they can't verify the funds for a couple days. So they'll uh, they'll let you have access to either some of it or the majority, or if not all of it. What if you say it's a bounced check? <laughs> they know already. <laughs> Because it's the, the, the check is coming from another bank. They usually don't do their – unless the check is, uh, is fraudulent based on an account at that bank because they, they had to access the account and they just – they found a way to hack in the system and then they, um, they, they had a bunch of fake checks, real checks from the account that are fraudulently printed. Wow. So they, they, uh, they put it in. They get a bunch of guys to cash these fake checks and they fuck everyone over. What if I get a fake check from somebody legitimately in a service I'm providing, and then that I, has happened. You know, wow, so that happens. That happens. I can't. I can't say, hey guys, like you, you know. You I can a- say you can kick up dust. 
more often than not, I have seen it not be turned over. I would hate to sound like this. And I'm going to choose my words very carefully because I know this is being reported. Yeah. When that happens, if you go to the wrong neighborhood, yeah, you will be tossed aside and they will go, you have to call this number, good luck. And they can fuck off. If you go to a poor neighborhood and you explain to them, a lot of times they'll call a back office and they'll try to actually fight for you. So they'll, so I, I've seen, and I'm, I'm going off specific cases that I've seen. Um, so what you're saying is, sorry, to clarify, a bank in a low-income neighborhood is going to be more likely to have your back. Whereas yes. a bank in a richer neighborhood will just tell you to go fuck yourself. I'm going off personal experience. That's fine. Yeah, anecdotal. And, you know. and so yeah. why, why do you think that is? I can get a lot more money off a dude who's going to invest $100,000. This kid comes in here and tells me he got a fake check. I hear the story all the time. Yeah, kid, whatever. Here's the number. Good luck. We don't waste any time on them because the more time I'm wasting on this kid who I know is lying to me because I also <laughs> I know this kid's lying. <laughs> yeah. A 19-year-old tells me, oh, this guy gave me a check. And I go, yeah, okay. Yeah, here's the number. Good luck. I've, had, I've also had the opposite happen. I think like four times ever I've had guys say that. It actually turned out to be true. Or, uh, yeah, like, so I was, I was, I'll give you some background on me and one of the reasons I know the difference and it taught me a little more empathy. So I was brought up in downtown Wall Street area. So I dealt with rich of the rich, like some, some top guys, millions of dollar guys. And then for whatever reason, I got, for lack of a better word, demoted to a poor neighborhood. Because, and uh, <laughs> Because of your political beliefs. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Your boy got drunk at work too many times. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you work at the. They industry. couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't turn a blind eye that many times. Because like, why is they, Daniel <laughs> drinking Red Bull again? <laughs> they would, because I they would. Let me tell you something. When I was making money, when I was one of the highest producing guys in the entire downtown area, um, they turned blind eye to my drinking. They drinking all the time. Sure. All the time. Why would or they why fucking dig at it too much? How many cups of their business? Having a day. How many cups? Oh, a bunch, a bunch. <laughs> I also was drinking. I was doing crazy shit when I was making money for downtown Manhattan. I I would take the phone when I had a bad phone call. I would slam it across the, the fucking wall. Oh, so hell yeah. I would throw tamper tantrums. I would fucking take it up like that. I wouldn't give a shit. And and people for the most part, they turn a big blind eye because you're a money maker. So they don't give a shit. I would curse out the advisors because I'm like, I have a guy that was $100,000 and one of the guys would be like, I can't make the meeting on Friday. I was like, make the fucking meeting and I would hang up on him like a dick. <laughs> You're fucking Wolf of Wall Street. It's hilarious. I yeah, but it. I was like, a, I, was a, I was in the wrong, I should have been in the, in the and I'll, I'll give you more background later, but the, I, was in the, I was in the great place with a great team. We're all making money and that's when the stock market was up and when shit started going down, that's when they were like, oh, are you drunk at work? You know, like when uh, I wasn't producing, like it's like a, you know, maybe you were not because they can't say you're drunk at work, but they can be like, maybe we think you're a better fit here. So I got <laughs> moved out, but I still came in with my cocky, arrogant swagger, and that shit did not fly. Where were you? Where are you moved to in New York? Ah, oh, fuck. Uh, near Wood, a block away from Woodhall. Oh, oh, whoa. Okay, okay. all right, all right. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just for context, everybody, uh, Daniel's referring to the Woodhall medical center it's kind of at the corner of flushing and um broadway over 
at the intersecting points of Bushwick and Bedford-Stuyvesant, which are two prominent neighborhoods in Brooklyn. And spoiler alert, uh, it doesn't have a great reputation. It has been known as not a great hospital. Uh, So it's very likely that the banking services around it uh, could potentially suffer from the same problems that it does, just for context. I was by City Hall in downtown Manhattan, and I got moved to Woodhall. Yeah. <laughs> so you know the area. So I was dealing with that kind of neighborhood. Um, See, and it's like, you. I used to go from when every time we had a fake check, we could pretty much brush off the person. Or if they had like, they would tell me things like $30,000 they want to invest, I'd be like, yeah, we can't help you. Which we would just be like, you're a waste of our time. Because if I went to my partners and said, this guy wants to invest $30,000, they'd look at me like I was stupid. You're like, you're, I'm not going to yeah. invest 30. They're like, I'm not going to invest $30,000. That's stupid. Unless he has a mortgage or something else I can make money off of. And so once you have, once someone sets up an account with you, they can still reach out to you to do investments oriented stuff as well. There's no separation between the commercial banking, opening up a business account or opening up a personal account and then just talking to you as the same person of being like, I want to invest this in this mutual fund or this private equity, you know, fund or you know, something like that. You, you would, you would be in charge of that as well. No, I wasn't the active manager on it, but I would be the one to sit down with the active manager. I was basically the, the person that would have to get these guys get them to come in, make sure their money wasn't set aside for something. I wasn't wasting anyone's time. I would sit down, find out what their financial goals were, find out what their investment goals were, sit down with the guy, and we would make the portfolio. But don't forget, all, like I mentioned the first time, um, the, the portfolios were all basically cookie-cutter investments. Yes. They're, they yes. are specific to the individual, and they're tailored, but a lot of the stuff is cookie-cutter. It's cookie-cutter, cookie-cutter, cookie-cutter mutual funds because they – they make the most amount of money on mutual funds. Makes sense. Yeah. They don't, when you buy stock from a, an advisor, it's like, what do they make? Like a hundred bucks. When they, when you buy mutual funds from an advisor, they, they earn a trailer fee. They, uh, they have management fees. That's what their real money is. Or if yeah. you buy an annuity, they, they earn certain percentages fees too. Well, that, that, that's something that we've, we've talked about quite a bit in the podcast, how the fee, the whole fee structure can just be so all over the place. And that's where a lot of just like white collar crime really piles up when you have a client who's like, you know, messing around with like uh, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million dollars and stuff. The amount of money that the people who are managing it can make with fees it could be astronomical yeah because especially if you do churning which again all these things are you're not that's a it's a regulatory um thing you're not supposed to churn you can't yeah. churn uh churning you is when you churning is yeah it's when you when you intentionally keep buying different mutual funds buying and selling different mutual funds on purpose to try and increase your um your 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 what's the word i'm looking for commission yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So they do that on pur- a lot of these guys do that on purpose. Uh, but that's that's a fucking regulatory uh, law, for lack of a better word. <laughs> You're not supposed to do it. If you get caught, it goes on your permanent record. You're fucked, bro. Your rush there goes- card. <laughs> your what? Your rush card. Yeah. You're- <laughs> you get blacklisted from the industry. You get a little. That's red it. Dot. You get a red yeah. dot. You're that's- done. You might as well stop working in finance. 
that's, that's crazy. crazy. This then, is then you start thinking about law school. No, then you start thinking about yeah. You start thinking about um, uh, secondary finance firms. So those guys, they don't just don't go away. <coughs> they end up working at places like where I'm at right now, but I think my place is underwater now, uh, uh, a capital lending firm. So they'll lend capital to businesses and businesses will thrive on that. And they're the people that they can't go to banks. It's like a private asset manager. Basically. It's thinking of it like... These are short-term loans. These are uh, these are uh, cash management loans. I think they're called. They're CMAs, they're like payday, MCAs. They're like pay- payday loans, but for businesses. Correct. They're okay. paid back daily basis. They the industry knows what they are. They're like this is an unregulated industry. I would have my boss as of two months ago. He would tell me, uh, "You can lie to the person. Lie to them. We're not regulated." His words. Those were his words wow. to me. Insane. And, and you work there now? No, I think the company went under. They didn't give me back my last paycheck. So, what was I, they haven't returned any of my emails at all. So I'm like, oh, I think this is done. Uh, Excel Capital. Okay. If I go work for them, I guess it's gonna be pretty awkward, huh? <laughs> hey, I mean, pay. It's like you should you should issue your paycheck. So back to the money part, right? So let's say we have two hundred ten thousand dollars, and we wanted to take two hundred ten thousand dollars and uh, put that away, for example, right? So we're taking $210,000 and breaking it away. Um, you, can't, you can't have too much money, again, because they're private organizations. They can tell you to fuck off, and they can yes. tell you we just don't want to work with you anymore, right? Yes. So uh, you're going to want to, and this is technically illegal. This is money laundering. You want to structure your, your deposits. Yes, of course. That's actually the term. It's called structuring. Uh, so what you do is you intentionally make deposits that will not be registered as a flag. Anything over $10,000 in cash, if you put in $9,999 in cash, if you put in any amount, if you adjust the amount, because I told you there's going to be a report, I can put in uh, a report. If you give me cash to buy a money order and or cashier check, because you're going you're to want to throw that into the mix, because no one has a perfectly just cash business. Even a muffin shop will get once ever a money order. Or a check. Yeah. Yeah. Once. They won't do it a thousand times, they'll do it once or twice ever. Mm-hmm. There's specific rules for every industry. Like I'm uh, I'm getting a I'm a cash business, there's no reason I'm gonna do an international wire. I have to have a good damn good reason to do a wire transfer overseas. What's the point of my American based business to have a wire overseas in the first place? Right? So we're talking about cash stuff. Have you ever run into clients, clientele, people who you interact with? We were like, all right, what is your, what's your, um, how much capital do you have or whatever? And they're like, oh, I have $100,000. And it's like, oh, where is it? Where do you currently store it? And they're like, well, uh, $50,000 is actually tied up in a 1967 Fender Jazz bass. And then <laughs> another, another 20K is tied up in a, a gold bar that's about this big. And then another of that 30K is tied up in uh, an incredibly rare painting. Like, do you ever get that kind of stuff? Luckily, no. Although I have seen, I have seen a million, thank God, no. That sounds like a oh, nightmare. Exotic, I have seen. Exotics, we should say, yeah. I've seen a million dollars in gold before. It's okay. very small. You know, it's yeah, only like yeah, it's yeah. only like uh, it's only like this much in gold. It's only like maybe that much. Yeah, it's it's that it's very little. It's like a small box. I 
a three by five box can fit it. That's about 16 inches long. I know because that's where he kept it. So I've seen a million dollars in gold. It's not as impressive as it seems. It's yeah. really small amount. But it's um, yeah. Well, it's 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 gold. It's gold, so. it's gold baby. It's gold. <laughs> gold. So uh, Daniel, I wanted to ask you. Um, I sent you this article on Intercept, and I wanted to ask you about what your thoughts are because there's been a lot of banking deregulation that that uh, this is getting a little political. Uh, I saw that the uh, the uh, BNP Paribas, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, wait. You're talking about I was, that one. Yeah, not 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 the one about um, the uh, Paribas one about the. You're talking about the uh, intercept article. The, I'm talking about the intercept article that I sent you that would ask the asking the Federal Reserve and the FDIC to lower the community bank leverage ratio from nine to eight percent. Can you just quickly, as succinctly as you can, because uh, we're really low on time say what that means and how that would affect systemic risk in the economy. Uh, there's different aspects, if I remember correctly, because it's been a long time since training school. The, uh, the, it's the amount of money that a bank has to have on, I think it's regulation D also. It's the amount of money a bank has to keep on file, a handy, to handle any of their loans they're lending out. Yeah, especially with a lot of the changes. Oh, just Sorry. because 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 banks are loaning to another thing, to another thing, to another thing, to another thing, and they're trying to make their money do other things in a lot of yeah, other ways. Yeah, yeah. But in but, order to do that, they have to actually have like a chunk of real correct, money. correct, real physical money they're holding on to. Yes. Yeah. Which is the whole way a bank's work in the first place. Here's here's like another like fucked up part. They are doing a lot of these regulatory laws. They can't invest. Other people's money. They can only invest their own money. But there's yeah. like, if enough changes happen, they can start investing on people's money, which they used to be able to do too. Or at least the a percentage they were out. Right? Is that like pre-Volcker rule? Yeah, it's like old as shit. It's the fucking 1920 laws and shit. But that's not, that no one's can say, no one, especially now with this whole unprecedented issue we have, no one can say we that's not a possible off the table thing. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, the real well, fucked up part. We're just in this politically. We're just in this time where it, everything's so like you know moving. It doesn't. It's it, there's no stability that these previously un, un unthought of like things that you couldn't mess with that might massively destabilize like larger segments of the economy and, and what have you. I mean, sh shit that sort of like contributed to like the housing crisis in 2008. You know, they're uh, yeah. on the table again. Yes. But you're you're forgetting that the housing crisis happened because of some prime mortgages. One flaw can it link everything. So when you have things like Glass Steagall and some sort of separation between it, you know, things you can and cannot invest that a bank can't can and cannot invest, it lowers the level of systemic ties that one risky thing can have. Right? Yeah, I mean it's like a it is a set of dominoes. I mean everyone's yeah. buying they're all buying these uh these securities from each other. Big firms buy securities from each other. They yeah. place options on things against each other. They're backing each other up. So one security backs the other, backs the other, backs the other. It really does become a domino effect. One subprime mortgage is pretty much collapsed the entire financial system. Yeah. It's a very easy way to trace it back to the original source. Two. That was a scary part. They just got greedy. That's all it was. There was no like rhyme or reason for it. The individual who got the subprime mortgage was greedy and the banks who were selling got greedy. Hmm. And for anyone that doesn't understand as a nutshell real quick, 
all it is it was back in the day was they took a bunch of mortgages and they sold it to the individual with no verification of assets. So you just told me how much you made. I believed you. And then I wrote that down and we gave you a mortgage with essentially an adjustable rate mortgage. It that balloons up after X amount of years. Yeah. Balloons. Yeah. It was uh, negligent. It was absolutely it was implied, implied. on a criminal level. No one went to jail over it. Yeah, we've de- we've definitely talked about it. What do you think the given the coronavirus economy that there would be another financial crisis of this nature? What do you think He's, after here, a, a, yeah, and like a, what what's what's the economy going to look like after coronavirus? Okay, so here's here's a really fucking nifty part. I've been telling everyone their money to fucking buy. The best time is the best time you can get everything cheap. This is uh, I was I was looking to David Annette, I think his name was or or, or Dan Chang. He's one of the CFOs of, fuck, he was on Yahoo Finance today, and he was talking about how there was already a 50% resurgence from the first time from the March low. So 50% of people with investments made back their money already. Or like, they, you got back 50% of the value back already. And it was so quickly, only a couple of weeks. So now the other second leg is just going to be a little slower, but fine. NAS, the NASDAQ has pretty much almost hit its all-time highs that was back in March. They're back like a motherfucker because it's all digital services. Everyone and their mother yep. has moved their money over to digital services. Yeah. So yeah. NASDAQ, we bounce like this. Bounce back. So it's it's only the what they call the epicenters of the crash. So places like the travel industry, um, even oil banks. Gas. Hmm? Oil and gas. Correct. Yeah, the, who got hit really hard. Those have come back, though. They said the, uh, he had specifically mentioned that buying places that were at the epicenter of the crash, even, and uh, this happened back in 08, so there's evidence to back it up. If you had bought, even if you buy into the epicenter crash areas, you could still make a ton of money, even if there's another dip coming up, which presumably there's going to be another dip coming up. So uh, it, buying now, even with a second dip, will still make you a lot of money. You just have to wait, like, what, two years? Who gives a shit? I'm thinking about investment. I'm thinking about investing six years down the line. If I'm buying something now, I don't mind holding on to it for six years against uh, I have some kind of profitability to it. I can just follow the S&P also. There's so much you can do. It's better than the bank account. Yeah. So, so what you're thinking is that you don't think that the that coronavirus is going to like materially alter the structure of the financial of, of the economy. Oh no, I 100% think it will. I just don't think it's going to be as, I think that we're going to lose certain sectors and just other ones are going to pop back up. I think on average, we're going to be just fine. Will there be losers? Absolutely. Yeah. Sears was a loser. If you look at Sears, they're a perfect example of a loser. Macy's is a loser. Yeah. They lost. So yeah, it, it, but but you, it sounds like you definitely have a, uh, a a strong premonition that just the stock market. There is no history in the entire start of stocks. Stocks gain back their losses right away. Then profits, profits, um, profits and earnings, they make back their money. Then the GDP. GDP isn't going to be back for another two years. Profits and earnings probably within a year, and stocks are bouncing back now. It's, wow. It depends on the flow of money. You're, it's, 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 you can't like, things are going to come back. Will it be back a little different? Maybe. But it's always, the, the stock market has and always will go up. If you look at everything on average. If you look at an individual horse, you can lose. So serious losers. Fucking Blue Apron was a fucking killer. Their stock went up 900% in the first three days of the quarantine. 
Wow. And what about like, uh, is, is, do you think the oil and gas industry is going to be permanently affected by this? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, Cruise Carnival is a perfect example of that. They're, they sold out to August or some shit like that. Remember when they, they had just uh, tried to fill up seats again and they, like, they got booked up real fast. So I, I, um, I, they're a good example of that. Unfortunately, changes in the industry are going to affect the airline industry because a guy who can just hop in a plane, fly back to a meeting in California and come back isn't going to have to do that. He can just zoom everything. Hmm. So will there be changes? Yes. I think there's definitely going to be the CEO of Boeing says he expects a major airliner to shut down um, in the next few months. We're also wow. going to look at, yeah, a major one. Uh, we're also looking at... Um, I hope it's United. Oh, God, me oh. too. Uh, I, we're also looking at AMC and Regal. AMC is being looked at by being bought by Amazon. I don't know how real that is, but they're... Uh, that's another good example. I mean, these, these industries are still going to be there. I think they're going to be a little different or we're going to have to combine them with other ones. Or they're going to have to look at new revenue streams. Yeah. Well, um, Daniel, I think we have to end pretty soon just because we're yeah. running out of time. But this has all been incredibly fascinating. And uh, it's, it's just good to get uh, a more holistic idea of like how these things actually work and how banking works. So it would yeah, be... Thank you. It's Thank been good talking along, to you. Do you yeah. Is there anything that you want to plug? Any last things you want to say? Very quickly. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I do these uh, financial slides. We always talk about different stocks and stuff. So my Instagram slides, I do them. And I announce them. I do them like once a week or so. What's your handle? At Daniel J. Parafan. Or Twitter. I do silly stuff on Twitter. <laughs> right on. Fantastic. All right. Perfect, man. Uh, Daniel, great having you on. And... Uh, you, got, you, you have a good night, man. And uh, Thanks to you too, bud. That's all we got for Ponzi Screen for the week. Thanks, so, man. Uh, yep, we will... Uh, it was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, it yeah. was good shit. We'll see, we'll see you all later, all right? Okay, peace. Take care. Peace. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.